Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Thank you, Eloise. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Daryl. I've been around the place, it seems like, for ages. If I'm not out here, I'm sitting there or I'm sitting back up there somewhere. And it's wonderful to be out the front this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words that I speak this morning and the thoughts of our hearts and minds be pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Eloise said, we're in the middle of a three-part series called The Resurrected Life. And the topic that I'm going to be talking about this morning is called No Perfect Life, where we're talking about how the resurrection of Jesus impacts our lives here and now. If you missed last week, Josh talked about how Jesus promised that his death and resurrection was actually the starting point and not the finish line of our lives and of his movement. He told us of how Jesus promised he would send a helper, a helper to help us and become all that he created us to do. And that helper, of course, was the Holy Spirit. I'm glad some of you were listening the Holy Spirit, God within us. And Josh pointed out that this was a great and good thing, actually, even better than Jesus being beside us like he was with the disciples. Because when the Holy Spirit is inside us, we're invited to play a part and we're invited to participate in the life that Jesus has called us to live. With Jesus besides, we're tempted to just spectate and, and watch and, and let Jesus do all the work. But with Jesus, with the presence of Jesus inside us, via the Holy Spirit, we're now invited to participate and experience the life that he has for us. And that means that the Holy Spirit helps us to live Christian life in a number of ways. And there are three ways. Firstly, that the Spirit comforts us when life feels discouraging or scaring or overwhelming. The Holy Spirit gives us comfort through his presence. Secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and shows us the areas of our lives that aren't leading us into the life he, and I use the word he because Josh explained last week that, that uh, Jesus was a he, and so he was going to use the he, and I thought I can do that too. Um, 
the, he, so we use, I use the word he, and I'll, I'll just repeat that one again, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and shows us that the area of our life that aren't leading us into life, and he is with us, and he gives us a distaste for our sin and a desire to change. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit helps us by counselling, by guiding, by leading us into the truth and showing us how to live and love like Jesus. And this is the way that we live the Christian life. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit and it's how we experience this resurrected life that Jesus promised that we could have. Now this week we're going to actually look at something else along these same lines. Have you ever asked yourself this sort of question? If I've got the Holy Spirit, if Jesus has given it to me, then why am I still struggling with life? Why am I still struggling in things? I believe I've got the Spirit in me. I believe in Jesus. I've put my faith in him. And yet there are days, there are weeks, when nothing seems to go right. For some of us, there may be months, even lifetimes, where you still struggle with the same old stuff. And you're like... If I've got the Spirit of God in me, then why am I still struggling with those same actions, with those same habits, with those same patterns, with those same reactions and with that same attitude or with that same addiction? Why? Why, why, why? Life certainly doesn't seem to be the proverbial bed of roses, even though I profess to be a Christian and believe in the Holy Spirit. We often ask ourselves, what's the deal? Where am I going wrong? And put another way, if we're honest, a lot of us could be saying, hey, look, I, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I'm, I'm just struggling all my life, all on my way through life. And it's frustrating. And for some of us, for some of you, it makes you sceptical about your faith. And the reason why we're sceptical is because we hear some Christians who say, Jesus changed my life. But they don't sort of look and act any differently to what we saw them before they thought they had Jesus. And we've encountered Christians who say, hey, I've got the Holy Spirit in me, you know, and I'm different. But they don't look any different to us. We think we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us, but we still don't seem to be able to be as joyous as they are. And so what's with us? Well, that's what I'm on about today, about why some of us have tensions in our lives and still struggle and what we should do about it. If you're someone that still struggles... If you're someone that struggles to be consistent, if you're someone who looks at yourself and says, hmm, I notice some gaps in my life between who I ought to be and who I actually am and who I want to be, but on a day-to-day on -day basis, I just cannot stop that struggling. 
if you recognise that you've got these gaps and some of these inconsistencies, but you're still struggling, the good news this morning is that you're actually in good company. All true Christians recognise their failures. As a matter of fact, one of the most influential and important Christians in all of history, the Apostle Paul, perhaps understood the message of Jesus better than anyone. He had the Holy Spirit, was living it out, and was responsible for most of the known world knowing about the message of Jesus. And he talks about it in his own writings. His struggle to actually shrink some of the gaps. And he talks about the struggle that he had with knowing what Jesus did and said, and yet he was not always able to live like it and keep it up. In the book of Romans, Paul writes to the Romans where there's a new Christian community that's forming. People are coming to know Jesus from all walks of life. And Paul writes them a letter to instruct them, to inform them, to teach them, and also to encourage them about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what that meant to their lives. You see, Paul and the Romans were struggling with their newfound faith, just like us. Our faith might be new or it might not, but it's this same struggle that you and I also feel that the Romans were feeling. It's the tension that we have in our daily lives wanting to be better people. I'm going to begin with a quick visit to Romans chapter 6. Now, Romans is a pretty deep and challenging book, if you've ever read it, with some really great theology and very practical ideas. So I'll read the verses, and then I'm going to try to explain in simple terms what Paul is telling us. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Should we continue to live in sin so that God's grace will increase? Certainly not. We have died to sin. How then can we go on living it? For surely you know that when we were baptised into union with Christ we were baptised into union with his death. By our baptism, then, we were buried with him and shared his death in order that just as Christ was raised from death by the glorious power of the Father, so we also might live a new life. So what Paul is actually saying there is that through death, and through the resurrection of Jesus, sin has lost its power in our lives. And because sin's lost its power in our, our life and over us, that we're under a different power. It's the power of Jesus. And yet, and even though we are under the power of Jesus, 
we still have continual struggles with doing things that we know we shouldn't. We are still slaves to sin. But then, in chapter 7, Paul continues that even though he knows, and we know it, that we still struggle in our daily lives, Paul tells us there is nothing wrong with us. This is how Paul tells it. Now, I warn you, get ready to read uh, to what I'm going to read, because if you're not properly awake, you'll wonder what I'm talking about, and you might be asleep at the end. I was preparing this, I read this so many times, and I decided that Josh wanted to have an easy day today, so that's why he's sitting up the back working the, the, the projector and all that, and he gave this little... Uh, peace to me because it is not easy to understand but I will read it it's from Romans chapter 7 verse 15 to 20 there are more do do do's and don't don't don'ts than I have ever heard I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do but what I hate to do and if I do what I do not want to do I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Perhaps if I say it again, it might be easier to understand. So here goes. I do what I don't want to do, and that something, whatever it is that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. But there are good things that I want to do, but I don't do them. I'm sure there are times when we all feel like that, and we ask ourselves, just as Paul was asking himself, why do we do it? I should be better than that. I know that's not the way to act. I should not have behaved that way. Why can't I be a much better person? Well, thankfully, Paul goes on to tell us in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25, and I'll read it again and then try to make it a little bit clearer. So Paul, from Romans 21, uh, 7, 21 to 25, so... I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched and I am, Paul, 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? That's the question. So like us, Paul is asking, why am I still doing that? Why am I still acting that way? Why do I react that way when I meet that person? Why do I say those nasty things to that person? Why do I keep making excuses when I know they're not true and I really haven't got any reason for not doing it? Why do I constantly, even though I know there's freedom in Jesus, why do I try to constantly cope with pills or the bottle or something like that? What is wrong with me? I'm sure we may have all experienced those kinds of feelings. Paul did. That's why he called himself a wretched man. But unlike us, Paul had the answer as to why it was happening. And he understood the problem. What Paul is describing here is the reality that while sin is dead because Jesus has put sin to death, even though the power of sin is dead, its influence is still real. And I'll read that little bit again. Even though the power of sin is dead, its influence is still real. The power of sin is dead in your life. You no longer have to respond yes when sin comes knocking. You no longer have to answer that door. And yet its influence is still very real and it still has influence and it can still hurt you. Paul is saying that's why we struggle. It's not because we're an awful person. It's because we are a person. The reason why we struggle is because there's still this thing called sin and it still has influence. It may not have power because Jesus has put its power to death, but it still has that influence in our lives. And sometimes we still say, yes, so... It's my sinful nature. That's why I struggle. In short, even though we have the Spirit of God in us, we still struggle because sin still has influence. And so, like Paul, what do we do about this struggle that we have? Who's going to rescue me? Is what Paul asked. Do I just keep struggling? Or is there a way forward? And thankfully for us, Paul answers his own question. He says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. He says, I know I keep struggling. I don't always get this perfectly right. I still do things wrong. But I look to Jesus. Jesus was perfect. So I don't have to be. Jesus set me right with God. Now we call that justification. 
That's a fancy church word. Means validation, rationalization, confirmation. Perhaps a more simple word would be support. Jesus supports us to be right with God. Paul says Jesus sets us right with God so that now we don't have to struggle to get right with God. And he sets us on a new path so that we can become more like him. That is, Jesus will help us to experience victory over the struggles. Paul goes on to say he looks to Jesus because Jesus has justified him and invited him into a new pathway, a new life. He is, here's another word, sanctified with Jesus. Now, sanctification means a, a process where we become more like Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, hey, I'm still a mess. I still mess up. I still get things wrong. We do too. We all do. We still struggle. But there is hope when we look to Jesus because Jesus has set us right with God and he gives us a new path forward so that we can become more like Jesus. So how do we break out of this struggle cycle so many of us find ourselves in? Paul says it starts by looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus when you find yourself struggling with the same old, same old. And when you know that there's a big gap and you, you recognise all the things that are wrong in your life, he's like, look, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. You won't be condemned for those things if you're in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life and sets you free from the law of sin and death. This word condemnation and condemn that I've just used sort of means judgment. So what Paul is actually saying, it's because of Jesus, when we fail and we fall short, the good news of the gospel and that there's no judgment coming from God anymore. We are not condemned. And I'm sure you could remember in, and can it be, no condemnation, now I know. And there's a word that keeps coming up and up. There is no guilt or shame or judgment coming from God towards us, which is good news for us when we have to struggle. But even though Paul says this, that there's no condemnation, no judgment, he doesn't say there are no consequences for your sin. Now, you don't have to, to fret when you fall and fail and fall short, but there are these earthly consequences. But God gives us this undeserved favour of grace which is what we get from God. Grace does not erase the earthly consequences. 
So, you know, if you cheat on your taxes, there's consequences. You cheat on your spouse, there's consequences. If you consistently cope with your stress and you worrying and your anxiety with alcohol and you drink too much, there's consequences. If you're consequently looking at stuff on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at, there are going to be consequences. You know, looking at your phone, if you're looking at that all the time, there are consequences in your life, in your relationships, in your heart, in your character, in your mind, there will be consequences. So although you're not going to be condemned, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no judgment for the sin that we find ourselves in, there might still be these consequences. But the good news is, there is always, when you sin, and when you struggle, and when you fail, and when you fall short, the opportunity to embrace God's grace. So, let me talk a little bit more about this. What is grace? Well, it's God's unmerited favour. He under, the undeserved favour that God gives to us. It's God's love, his acceptance and forgiveness because of anything that we've done but because of what Jesus did that's grace and that's what grace is it's what Jesus did for us what we can do when we fail and fall short is to look to Jesus and accept his grace and there is power in that it's not acting out at all by doing that when we embrace this grace, that's us going, hey, you know what? I know I messed up. And I know I fell short. But I'm going to get back up instead of giving up. That's what God's grace gives us the power to do. When we accept God's grace, it's giving the power to us to get up, to turn from our sin, to learn from our sin, and to ultimately grow from what we went through. There's so much power in that. Some of us need to embrace God's grace more than others. We punish, reprimand, and, and rebuke ourselves because we struggle. Instead, we should accept God's grace because it's freely given. We tell ourselves that our sin is our own fault. We believe that because when we've done the wrong thing, we're a failure. We've been allowing sin to tell us what to do. We do, and it determines who we are. But there is that different message that I've just mentioned. Paul says to embrace grace. There's grace for us. And grace says we can get up and we can turn and we can learn and we can grow. And that the failure that we ran into and that the struggle we ran into doesn't have to define us as a person. Because of this grace, we can be changed. So getting back to what Paul says, he says, look to Jesus when we struggle, put our trust in Jesus 
look to Jesus and accept God's grace. So maybe that's what some of us need to do. We need to prioritise and to apply an effort under grace. Will all of our struggles just disappear? Well, I think we know the answer to that. No. But what happens is, little by little, gradually over time, we experience victory and big struggles become small struggles. And heavy things become lighter. And some struggles get eliminated altogether. It's amazing how some of them suddenly get lighter. Some of them just easier to avoid. Some struggles become far less frequent. And our lives begin to look more like we believe Jesus wants us to be. So, what have we heard today? Well, I hope that through Christ, I've been able to make it a little clearer that the power of sin is dead, but its influence is still real. And that thanks to Jesus, he has invited us into a process called sanctification. And it's a process, a lifelong process. And the process is about progress, not perfection. And that while the Holy Spirit is under, utter, ultimately responsible for producing the results in our life, we have a part to play. And our part to play each and every day, look to Jesus, embrace the grace that he has, and apply effort. And then to repeat this act of accepting grace daily, as often as we need so that the Holy Spirit can work in and through our efforts and make us look and live and love but more a little bit more like Jesus will you pray with me wonderful gracious and loving God thank you so much that you have conquered the power of sin in our lives and you have given us the ability to say no when sin comes knocking. I pray that by the Holy Spirit in us, you would help us to shrink the gaps of our conflicts and our double standards. I pray that you would help us to look to you when we fail and fall short, not to run from you, but run to you. I pray that you would help us to look to you to accept you in our lives, knowing that our sins and our struggles don't define us. But you would help us to accept grace and then apply effort to participate with you in the process of changing our lives. I pray that you give us the victory, that you give us freedom, that you would help us to overcome and that you would help us to put struggles away and that you would help us to experience life, a life abundant in you, just like you promised. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.